I wanted to play an instrument Cause musicians are so cool And I wanted to be cool But I found playing an instrument is kinda hard I tried the harmonica but I really sucked I tried the guitar but my fingers couldn't do it I was ready to give up Then I saw a little instrument in the shop It didn't cost too much so I gave it a shot Now I play all the time and my friends do too And who knew ukulele is the new black Yeah, it's the new black Everybody's playing it Welcome to Ukulele is the New Black. I'm Meredith Harper and I love to play the ukulele. In this podcast, I talk to ukulele players to find out why this little instrument has become so popular. In today's episode, I talk to the amazingly talented Cameron Murray, who was a performer and workshop presenter at the Central Coast Ukulele and Folk Festival in August this year. This was recorded just after I attended one of his workshops on strumming and finger picking. I learned a lot in that workshop. Cameron not only knows how to play the ukulele, but he's very good at explaining things in a simple and practical way that even I can understand. One of the challenges of recording interviews at a podcast festival is it can be quite hard to find somewhere quiet. We recorded this in an outside area, and there's a bit of road noise in the background, including the odd siren, but fortunately nothing too loud interrupted his songs. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Cameron. Ukulele player, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Cameron Murray. And I'm from Sydney. Sydney. No, Sydney. I, no I never even asked you that because we're here in Central Coast or the entrance. The Central Coast Ukulele Festival yes, 2018. That's the one. Um, and I had never set eyes on you before today. <laughs> it's a great thing about the ukulele. You just meet people, don't you? Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. And no, I was it's... amazed how many people were happy to, didn't even know me, said, yep, yeah, I'll come and talk to you. Yeah, it's well, fantastic. It's, it's, it, that's kind of been the story of my ukulele life is yeah. just meeting people. The first festival I ever went to was in Rhode Island in the US in 2004, or 2003 I think it was, Um, and from that one festival I met so many people who have set me on so many different paths to different parts of the world, and I'm still very good friends with them, and uh, so yeah, since then, you know, festivals have proliferated around the country and around the world. And it's just getting bigger and bigger, and you get more and more friends, so it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. So let's go back then. So um, what made you start playing the ukulele? So you obviously have been playing for a while. I've been playing for, I guess, more than 25 years, which Man, is Man, that was ridiculous. when it wasn't even fashionable yet. It was not fashionable, no. It was no. not the it new was, it was, it was, I'll, I'll tell you how unfashionable it was. It was 1991. And it, I was in Johannesburg, South Africa, Whoa, no, that, where there I'm still isn't get... <laughs> much of a, a ukulele scene. If ever I get anyone else saying those words, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the reason I started playing is because my dad plays guitar. So he plays sort of folk and bluegrass guitar. And when I was about 10, 11, I wanted a guitar. Uh, but obviously it was too small for a guitar. But my dad refused to buy me a crappy plastic guitar fair enough enough, exactly so there was a a music store closing down in Johannesburg and they were getting rid of ukuleles these Sano brand Japanese ukuleles they were kind of rip-offs of uh, old Martins right so mahogany little mahogany soprano so he got me that uh, and I didn't do much with it (laughs) initially I left it for about a year Uh, but then comes into the picture my step-granddad 
who is an Englishman who was also living in South Africa at the time, who sort of followed our my immediate family to Johannesburg, and so he lived there as well. And uh, I was always fascinated whenever I went to his place because he has an incredible collection, or he had an incredible collection that he's since given to me, which is very nice, of banjo ukuleles oh, nice. uh, made uh, in England in primarily the 70s when my granddad was a member of the George Formby Society. Um, oh, that's so cool. And so he's, <laughs> and my granddad was a very, very good player. Uh, he's, st- he's still going, but uh, he doesn't play as much as he used to. But he was an incredibly great player, um, very good strumming technique, almost like a George Formby style split stroke. And so it always fascinated me, you know, when he he brought a ute round to our house or we went to his place and he, he played a few tunes. So is this before you got the ukulele or after? It, it was after. Uh, well, kind of in, in, in at the same sort of time. Yeah. So the little Sano soprano was sitting in the corner and, and then... I think he was over at our house one day and I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him how to play a few chords on this thing because I'm sick of looking at it in the corner. Uh, <laughs> and there, I guess there was no YouTube to look up in those days. There was, was nothing. There? <laughs> no, there was nothing at all. Uh, so he was my only, only uh, go-to guy. So he taught me a few chords and he showed me how to strum, basically. And I, I just got right into it. Um, and it became a, a real sort of staple of my life from then on, since 1991. Fantastic. Yeah. So you never played any other instruments before that? I'd never played any other instruments. They didn't give you a recorder at school? Oh, I did have a recorder. <laughs> yeah, we all, that doesn't count. I, yeah, does it? I, I'm not sure any of us can remember playing a tune on a recorder. But, uh, <laughs> we all blocked that out of our memories. <laughs> exactly. But I'd always loved music. And I can't say my dad played guitar or plays guitar. And uh, my mum loves music. So it was a very musical household. Um, but yeah, no, no other instruments. And I haven't picked up any other instruments uh, because oh, you're a purist. I'm a, well, I'm a purist, and also I'm realistic that you know if I'm going to get quite good at any instrument, I think I should just stick to one. Yeah, but although you have variations, haven't you? Because I got, do. You, you have the band. Yeah. Ban, ban, is it banjolele ban- or banjo ukulele? Well, is there a difference? Is it the same thing? No, it's the same thing. It is the same so thing. it's okay, either a, yeah. I mean, it, it depends what you want to call it: banjo yeah. ukulele, a banjolele, or I suppose my Dutch friend. Ukulele Zaza, if you heard of him, he's a no. fantastic player. But anyway, he says ukulele banjo or uke banjo, and I, I believe that is kind of more correct because it's primarily a uke, yes, so that should be first. That's true. And you know, yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm Otherwise, a journalist myself, a... so I, I'm kind of I like things being correct. So I suppose it's a ukulele banjo, but then I do love the word banjo lately. So. It, it, it rolls off the tongue, it does. doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, no, I play banjo uke or yep. uke banjo banjo lately. Uh, and I have kind of every size of uke, I suppose, but I still I prefer the soprano. Yeah. I guess I am a purist in that regard. Yeah, I've gone for the big one, I must say. The thing I found, whatever size you have, it's very hard to have multiple sizes because if he's, if, if I go back and play my soprano, it kind of feels It can be weird. a bit tricky. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Although, um, actually, practicing on a soprano... And then when you go to a larger instrument, I found it's maybe a little bit easier because there's a bit more room for your fingers. So yeah. if, if you practice on a, on a smaller instrument, it can make playing the bigger one a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. Now, when I first got the tenor, I just kept fluffing the chord just because the distance is a little bit wider. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so now that I've got that, I kind of don't want to lose it. <laughs> Fair enough. Absolutely. Although it is my work ukulele. I have a soprano there. Oh, yes. Because there's a yeah. group... Um, 
meets um, two blocks from where I work, right. Monday and Friday, lunch times. Oh, okay. Well, you got to have so one. So if I have time, then I can just pick up the you can yeah. go down there at lunch. Well, that's it. Everyone should have a. A, a, a car ukulele, yes, you know, a work I, ukulele. I don't have the car you can. <laughs> you got to find one that you, yeah, that's cheap enough that it's yeah, or, or exactly. expensive enough that it's 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 okay in the car. True, yeah, <laughs> and then you got to watch the weather as well in terms yes. of cracking and things. But anyway, yeah, correct. Yes. That's where you use the that's a whole ones. other podcast. Yeah, that, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so your journey of learning ukulele. Yeah. So you said you went to this the the festival you went to. Yeah, was that kind of the beginning of making it a big thing? Yes, I guess it was so um, because happened? well, I'd come, so I so I came to Australia with my family in 1995, so still no ukulele scene to speak of no. uh, then, and I just got to the point where I mean I, I so I finished high school in Sydney and uh, played a couple of times at assemblies and things and it always went down well and I thought you know I've got to take this somewhere so where is it happening and at that point it was happening in the states it it had just started really gathering pace in America. Uh, so that's where I went. So as I said, 2003, I went to Rhode Island. Um, shortly, well, well, actually before that, I went to Hawaii. Um, and so I started just going to America, um, L.A., uh, Boston, um, Hawaii a few times, until it sort of started catching on here. Um, and actually, well, I can, I, there's an exact date when the Australian ukulele thing kind of started to happen for me and I guess for Australia in that uh, in 2004, if you know Rose Turtle Ertler, I know the name. You know Rose, yeah. Yes. So she's been uh, she's been playing ukulele you know and, since and the well ni- early 90s. We're actually saying that because that's that's a mouthful. The Turtle Ertler, yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> but she's a terrific person. And uh, in 2004, she was putting on uh, a festival sort of a, a side festival, part of the live beat festival in Bondi, at the Bondi Pavilion on Bondi Beach. And somehow she got my name as a potential ukulele player. She's trying to put together a ukulele show, and, you know, there weren't many takers back then, so <laughs> she, she was trying hard. Uh, so she found me and a few others, including the great Azo Bell, who was, you know, and still is one of the greatest Australian ukulele players from Byron Bay. So he was going to be headlining it, and she would play... And, I, and she invited me to play. And it went down a storm, and it was really good. Uh, it was just like an, a two- or three-hour show. So who, who came to that? Were there people who played ukulele or people who were ukulele curious? Um, I think everyone was just kind of ukulele curious at that point. There, there weren't too many players. A lot of people who went to that went on to become players yep. and went on to become uh, leaders and for the, the sort of form groups themselves. Because from that, actually, straight after the event, uh, a guy from the, the Sutherland Shire in Sydney, so south of Sydney, um, wanted to put on a ukulele course at his community college in the Sutherland Shire. And he asked Azo Bell initially if he wanted to do it, and Azo, Azo didn't want to do it. Um, but he said, well, ask Cameron, he can, maybe he can do it. So this guy asked me, and, uh, and so I, I went there and I did it for a few terms. Uh, and from that, actually, the... Um, Scum Group, which is kind of scum. St. George and Sutherland <laughs> Community of Ukulele Musicians. That's excellent. That, uh, that, that, that sort of sprang up from, from that. Uh, I went to a few of the initial meetings, and then um, some previous uh, students of mine kind of started that little group south of Sydney. And from there, the, the Balmain Ukulele Club uh, near the centre of Sydney started up. And then from there, it just kind of started to go crazy as the internet came in mainly, yep. and YouTube and 
and everything else. So yeah, so since sort of 2004, it's really just been getting bigger and bigger and I mean, well, I haven't needed to go to America because there's a lot <laughs> happening it's, here as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's fantastic. So if we go back to 2004, what mm. kind of, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting in a segue here so you can play something for me. Oh, sure. What kind of things were you playing then? I was playing more kind of uh, Tin Pan Alley type things. I hadn't started writing songs by yep. then. Uh, so I was doing uh, kind of Hawaiian classics and George Formby. Stuff. Can you, can you, I, I, I really want a bit of your George Formby stuff because it, it blows me away. Right, well, well, let's do that then. The flying let's, fingers. Let's do the George Formby stuff. Um, so that, that, this was mainly what I was playing because I just, you know, And obviously that's what you would have learned, you know, if you learned from a, a banjo Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was learning from a, a great George Formby fan. Yes. And I was a great George Formby <laughs> fan, so it made sense to do that. Um, so I'll play The Window Cleaner uh, by George Formby. Um, I'm playing, because you can't see it, this is an uh, early 1920s Martin 2K ukulele. It's very pretty and very tiny. It's very tiny. It's kind of a hallmark of the early 20s Martins. It's very thin and it's extremely light. I will grab a photo of that later Absolutely. so we can yeah. put it on the website. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. Um, so I'll do the window cleaner. This is from a 1936 film that George Hornby did. George Hornby did a lot of films, made a lot of money doing the films, um, especially in the sort of war years. World War Two, and uh, so this is from a 1936 film called Keep Your Seats Please and it was actually banned by the BBC because the windows weren't clean enough <laughs> it's a little bit on the nose little blue little blue but not really so here it is the window cleaner I go cleaning windows to earn an honest bob for a nosy parker it's an interesting job Now it's a job that just suits me A window cleaner you would be If you could see the things I see When I'm cleaning windows Honeymooning couples too You should see them bill and coo You'd be surprised at the things they do When I'm cleaning windows Oh, in my profession I'll work hard But I'll never stop I'll climb this blinking ladder Till I get right to the top The blushing bride, she looks divine The bridegroom, he is doing fine I'd rather have his job than mine When I'm cleaning windows Chambermaid, sweet names I call It's a wonder I don't fall My mind's not on my work at all When I'm cleaning windows I know a fella, such a swell He's got a thirst, that's plain to tell I've seen him drink his bath as well When I'm cleaning windows Oh, in my profession I'll work hard But I'll never stop I'll climb this blinking ladder Till I get right to the top Pajamas lying side by side, ladies' nighties I've spied. I've often seen what goes inside when I'm cleaning windows. Up one day, I'm sure she'll drag me in and lock the door when I'm cleaning windows. 
listeners, Cameron's fingers were literally a blur doing that. It's so, it's so cool. And it is, yeah, it, it is a great song. It just it's just terrific. But isn't I've it? heard it, but yeah, when you listen to the lyrics again, it, it, it does make me giggle. It does, yeah. That's the thing with Formby stuff. I mean, a lot. some of it is a little bit of its time in that it's a little bit. You know, too close to the bone yeah, in some regards. Not politically but correct. Not politically correct. <laughs> but, but at its heart, you know, it's good fun sort of music. And it, yep. it's, it's just trying to put a smile on people's faces. That's just really its, <laughs> it's only, only objective. Yeah. So then after you had played that stuff, you then, you, yeah. like you were saying earlier in our workshop that you went mm. to Hawaii. Yes. And discovered that there are other ways to play ukulele. There are other ways. <laughs> there are other ways than, than bashing it out uh, and strumming. So tell me about that. Yeah, well, uh, it was the first time I went to Hawaii was 2001, I think. I'm really not good with dates. I'm the same. I, I went there, I think, well, I went. I definitely went there for my 21st birthday, and so that would have been 2001. So I'm going to say it was then, because no one can dispute it. Yeah, I totally basically. agree with you, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I made a point then of going and doing as much ukulele stuff as possible. Well, you're in you know, Hawaii. I'm in Hawaii, yeah. so that's kind of why I went there. So it all actually happened when I was in Waikiki and I went to one of the ukulele shops and I looked at ukuleles there and I thought, which one would I like? Because I thought I'm going to buy myself a birthday present here and it's going to be a nice cover, you know, proper Hawaiian ukulele. And uh, the brand I found was called Kelly, K-E-L-I-I, who are still around, I think, but not as they were then. And this was in one of the big ukulele stores in Waikiki and it was quite expensive. And so I thought... Hmm. I wonder if they. I wonder if I can just go there. So I went back to the hotel room and I looked them up and I looked up Kelly in the in the phone book, and uh, sure enough, near Pearl Harbor, they had a factory. Right. And they had a shop attached to the factory. And I How thought convenient. it's got to be cheaper. It's got to be <laughs> than surely than touristy Waikiki. So that's what I did. I went went to Kelly, and it was there, as I said in the workshop just then, that uh, I was talking to one of the backroom staff, and he sort of taught me how to pick a little bit because that's what I found when I went to Hawaii that everyone was picking and no one was really strumming they were kind of amazed by the strumming and I was kind of amazed by the picking <laughs> so it was a sort of mutual appreciation um, but so so that sort of opened up a whole new realm for me in the picking kind of thing and you know short, slowly but surely I started thinking about writing songs and you know how I can incorporate the picking and the strumming and trying to bring it all together because there is a place for both Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you listen to my songs, it's the places in one song. Well, let's listen to one of your songs. Okay. All right. <laughs> Without further ado. Well, probably the best one to play then would be Halle Eva, which is a song I, I wrote about Hawaii. So that Perfect. Per- that ties in perfectly, doesn't it, <laughs> with the whole narrative. Um, so I have a picking intro on this. Uh, I do a few different techniques. I do sort of a thumb strum. Uh, I do a, a, a more nail sort of strum in, the, in the, the solo parts, and then I go into the triplet and the roll stroke, which is more of the formby kind of deal, um, at the end. And okay. it's called Haleiwa. It's about I wrote it half in in Haleiwa, which is on the north shore of Oahu, um, in Hawaii. So it's where all the, the big wave spots are, like Waimea Bay and Bonsai Pipeline. Um, so I wrote half of it there, and then half of it when I came back to Sydney. Called okay. Haleiwa.
trade winds blow Old Haleiwa town Just as the sun goes down And time means nothing If you've got nowhere to be Time means nothing If you've got nowhere to be Palm trees swaying in the breeze Shave ice that gives you brain freeze Long walks along the sand This really is a special land And time means nothing If you got nowhere to be Time means nothing If you got nowhere to be Cocktails on the lanai No shirt, no shoes, no ties Turtles playing out at sea This seems like paradise to me And time means nothing If you got nowhere to be Time means nothing If you got nowhere to be They'll be surfing at Waimea Pipeline too. Every day seems perfect as long as I'm with you. And time means nothing if you got nowhere to be. Time means nothing if you got nowhere to be. And you're right, that shows that all the techniques you just talked about in that, in that workshop, I just saw them all. In one, yes. Yeah, the all-rounder. <laughs> That's fantastic. So if we bring up the present day then, so, yeah. I mean, obviously you, you play a lot of uke, so where yeah. are you playing and what are you, what are you doing with the uke at the moment? Well, I, I play as much as I can. Um, I, I come to festivals like this. Um, I, I'm, I'm a member of the Balmain Ukulele Club in Sydney, so go there uh, fairly often. Um, and I just try and play as much as I can. Yeah, really. Uh, I do the odd sort of solo thing on my on my own, uh, but it's mainly festivals and stuff at the moment. Uh, yeah. I do publish a ukulele magazine called Kamuke K A M U K E. So that's been a big part of my ukulele journey, I guess. Because and it, that really happened because in 2011 that sort of came to fruition. And it was mainly because I kind of knew a lot of people from playing for 10-odd years around the world. I'd, I'd met a lot of people, and there wasn't really... A, well, there wasn't any ukulele magazine at that stage. So that was my idea, was to to interview the people I knew and, and, and bring it all together, and also show off a little bit of the history of the ukulele, because I think that gets a little bit lost um, in the kind of group thing, you know, which is great. People just want to play music, and it's a community thing, and so they get together and play ukulele. But a lot of people don't have sort of an appreciation, I think, for the, the history of the instrument. Because it is fascinating. It's a really fascinating history. And um, 
so that was my idea with the magazine to sort of bring all of that together uh, and I also sort of imported a few ukuleles and, and sold a sort of ukulele related things um, yeah. Very cool ukulele earrings. Ukulele earrings, which you, you can get at com, <laughs> And which I will be proudly wearing. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> so final question, as always, is mm. how has ukulele changed your life? Entirely. <laughs> nice answer. That, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, well, you know what, I, I, I'm not sure where I'd be without it. Yeah, I guess because you've been doing it for so long. I've been doing it for so yeah. long. I've been doing it since I was 11 years old. And so it's always kind of been there. Uh, and it's just allowed me to, to travel the world and meet fantastic people like you, and, Thank you. and everyone else <laughs> at this festival. Um, and it's just it's just fun to kind of you know do workshops and, and, and share the, the love of it and do the, the magazine and, and share the, the history and and sort of get people involved because there's a lot of I mean I don't, I don't really buy into the fact that the, we're in a terrible time in history you know a lot there's a lot of doom and gloom mainly because of social media i think yeah there's always uh, something there's always going some, on. There's yeah. A, yeah exactly there's, so there's all <laughs> life is always terrible yeah but also life is always fantastic yeah so um it, it, it? exactly it's entirely what you make of it and the ukulele i think can help people see the light and uh, enjoy <laughs> life a little more so yeah fantastic. absolutely it's been my whole life and it will continue to be because i'm not done with it yet and uh, there are many things to come. There's always more to come. And there's more songs to be written and <laughs> more fun to be had. Well, Cameron Murray, thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. No problem. And I look forward to seeing next festival, hearing yeah, you play more. Yeah, absolutely. Or <laughs> well, maybe I'll see you in Canberra. I hope so. I had a fantastic time at the Central Coast Ukulele Festival and performed there with the Ukulele Republic of Canberra. Hang around after the credits for one of the songs Uroc played at the festival. Ukulele is the New Black is produced by me, Meredith Harper, and I also wrote and performed the theme tune. Graphic design is by Seb Carrero. Details of songs played by Cameron in today's episode are in the show notes, as well as a link to his magazine, Camuke. Episodes are released every second Monday, and you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Tumblr, or your podcatcher of choice. Our YouTube channel has a playlist of songs relating to each podcast episode. Want to support the show? Please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes and go to the website, ukuleleisthenewblack.com, to donate or buy merch, including T-shirts, mugs, stickers, and really handy water bottles. Got to stay hydrated when you're playing. And follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time. Okay, folks, this is uh, our take on the next song, and it's called Walking After Midnight. Thank you.
Cause it's the new black 